please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Almighty God, through your only Son, you overcame death and opened to us the light of eternity. Enlighten our minds and kindle our hearts with the presence of your Spirit, that we may hear your words of comfort and challenge in the reading of our scriptures through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture today comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Hear these words. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the 12, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I seal the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, the disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, look at my hands, put your hand into my side. No more disbelief, believe. And Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So um, if you hadn't noticed, uh, Josh Lemons is not here, our associate pastor. He's on a, a walk to Emmaus. It's a spiritual life retreat. Um, and he, he was, he's great. He organizes uh, worship for me. He says, all right, are you good doing this whole Sunday all by yourself? <laughs> and I said, yeah, um, for 12 years before I came to Chapelwood, I did this stuff on my own. But apparently, you know, if you'll look, you can tell I got a new shirt and I chose not to press it. So when you see Josh, tell him he did great, but teach him how to iron his shirt. Okay. Um, so we're, this is the last Sunday of our uh, Easter series. Uh, Easter series is called Unexplainable. It's taking the, the, the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection to the disciples and to others and, and kind of unpacking them and understanding how they might help us in understanding our own story um, as Jesus is writing it for us. Now, now, we've been using this kind of arc of the story. Ooh, that's beautiful. Good job, Jake. Um, this looked completely horrible when I did it, but um, Jake edited it and it looks so much better now. Um, so there's these four words that kind of, if you're an English or literature fanatic, it's called the arc of the story. And it's, um, you start with context. Every good story has context, conflict, climax, and closure. And so if you think about it, context is where you get to know the characters. You, you learn a little bit of the narrative. You get a little bit of idea of what the area is, um, maybe the town where the story is set. But after a while, if that's all the story is, is a, a bunch of context and no rising action or conflict. You get bored and turn the channel or go find another book or walk out of the movie theater. You got to have some rising action, some tension, some 
some conflict, some place where good and evil come together, or a, a hero who uh, doesn't look like he's going to make it, or, um, or maybe um, a princess who goes ahead and becomes the hero and rescues the prince. You need that rising conflict, that rising action, something that kind of makes you sit on the edge of your seat, turn the page a little bit quicker, wonder what the next episode would be now that you've binged all of the episodes that you can watch, and you have to wait a week for the next one. But if you get enough rising conflict for long enough and it's drawn out long enough, you just get tired, you want to get to that, that moment, that peak of the mountain, that place where everything comes together and it pivotally changes. And the rest of the story is changed because of that moment. And then everything else after that climactic moment is closure. It's how the world is different now that the princess has saved the prince. It's how all the world is different now that we avoided the destruction of the whole world. It's how the world is different now that the climax has happened and closure has come. Every good story has context, conflict, climax, and closure. And I think if you uh, reflect on the stories that we have looked at in this series, they all have a little bit of that in them. Uh, when Mary goes on Easter morning uh, to uh, prepare the body with spices, she does not find Jesus, right? He is gone. In fact, he's there, but she thinks he's the gardener. You know, you had to have a little context to why Mary was in the cemetery to begin with, right? We think about the walk to Emmaus um, as uh, these uh, couple of guys were walking about eight miles. They'd had a bad day. They were headed to the next town. What is it about Cleopas and his friend? What is it about the stranger that walks with them? What is it about breaking the bread? A little bit of rising tension because we know that Jesus is walking with them, but they don't. And the, the climax, I would say, in Jesus preparing breakfast for Peter and the disciples on the beach. This is where um, Jesus says to Peter, uh, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? This is a moment of climax for Peter, a moment in the story where he is forgiven and reconciled for denying Jesus three times. So you can see in the midst of all these stories, there is a little bit of this. We look at our particular story for today, our scripture stories about the disciple Thomas, who, uh, I have to be um, honest, doesn't get a real fair treatment historically, right? I mean, good grief, he, he, he made one sentence and forever he's known as Doubting Thomas, right? So the disciples get together uh, in the upper room, they're together and Jesus appears and uh, for all of those disciples minus one, we could spend some time talking about where was Thomas? Right? Does he have a problem you know, making and keeping commitments? Does he you know, not do well with his time management? Why wasn't he there? But regardless, Thomas wasn't there. The disciples were, and Jesus came to them, spoke peace to them. It was a beautiful moment where the disciples were able to connect with the risen Jesus. But when they, uh, when they got back together again, uh, Thomas said, uh-uh. Unless I can uh, put my hand in his wounds and touch the place where the nails were, I'm not going to believe. Now, that's an interesting statement, right? We, we tend to think of Thomas as doubting Thomas because he couldn't believe based upon the testimony of the rest of the disciples. But I'd like to say that Thomas is actually pretty healthy. He's asking for what he needs, right? He asks for what he, he says it plainly and clearly, unless 
I'm able to touch the wounds of Jesus. I cannot believe in the resurrection. Now, I believe asking for what you need is a really good thing, but there's a really important piece there. Ask for what you need, not for what you want. Because some of you are thinking, ha-ha, what I need to believe is to win the lottery. I'm with you. That's want, not need, right? Some of us just need to be able to say out loud, what might it help us to move one more step as we take our next step in our faith journey with Christ? I need somebody to teach me the Bible. I need someone to spend time with me as I figure out my wounds. I need someone to help me understand what it means to feel called beyond where I am. Ask for what you need. Thomas says this. And the next time the disciples get together, Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus say? Come here, Thomas. Touch my side, put your, hands, uh, and put your fingers in my hands where the nails were. And Thomas believes. Now there's a little bit of a caveat here, right? Because Jesus says, blessed are you who have seen and believe, but more blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe. Here's where John is driving us. He wants us to get this recognition that if we weren't there, ground zero, at the moment of Easter, if we weren't there with Mary, going to the tomb, finding the gardener, and seeing that it was Jesus, that it still matters, right? If, if you follow the story, right? Mary goes, it's the gardener, no, it's Jesus. And then Jesus says, go and tell everyone else. And she runs off to do it. But when we're on the walk to Emmaus, Cleopas and his friend tell Jesus, but yet we don't know Jesus, that, um, well, yeah, the women went to the tomb, but uh, they saw a ghost or something. They were scared. We didn't believe them. Whoa, whoa, wait, right? Did you notice the difference there? Mary sees Jesus and tells everyone, but yet Cleopas, who's not even part of the 12, says, yeah, it's just a bunch of ghosts, right? But in the midst of the breaking of the bread and the journey together, they see Jesus right? Same thing for Peter. Think about Peter's story, right? Peter, who's walked with Jesus for three years. Peter, who's been one of the 12. Not only one of the 12, you remember last week when uh, Pastor Josh was talking about um, how it was Peter, James, and John who always got to go on the special trips, right? All the field trips to Mount Transfiguration. They got to do the feeding of the 5,000. They got to do all these wonderful things. But yet Peter has a hard time committing, Right, Peter, uh, while Jesus is arrested uh, and being paraded around uh, on trial, um, he goes to the temple courtyards and he's warming himself in front of fire. And not once, not twice, but three times someone asks him if he's a part of Jesus' group. And he says, no, not me. He denies Jesus in front of a charcoal fire three times when Jesus was at his worst. And so here, here we have that moment uh, um, where, where Jesus has breakfast for the disciples and around a charcoal fire invites Peter to have that moment of believing, that moment of seeing, that moment of reconciliation, of becoming whole again after uh, the denials that he had before. And again today, I think it's very clear um, that, uh, that what, what Thomas wanted was to be able to see. And what John wants us to understand is that seeing is not about being a first person observer to the resurrection, but rather it is hearing the story, experiencing the moment, asking for what you need, and allowing Jesus to bring you into that experience of becoming whole again.
This is the story. Now, for Thomas, you got to believe with me that um, when Thomas puts his fingers in the nail marks and his hands in the side, that that's a pretty climactic moment for Thomas. This is pivotal, that the story of Thomas is going to be changed forevermore, that Thomas will tell everyone he meets about that moment when Jesus says, come here, Thomas, and put your hands in my side and your fingers in the wounds. I imagine that Thomas will have children and they will tell this story over and over again about the day that Thomas, my grandfather, my great-grandfather changed when he placed his hands in Jesus's wounds. That'd be really cool to hear a little bit more specific about what happens to Thomas, you know, after the resurrection and the ascension. Now, tradition says that all the disciples went to particular parts of the world to spread the gospel, that this is kind of the uh, go into all the nations and spread the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission from Matthew. And so tradition says that Thomas went to India. Could you imagine how powerful and pivotal a moment it was when Thomas got what he needed to believe, that it so set him on fire that this... this, this ancient Near Eastern fisherman pulled up stakes, left the Fertile Crescent, traveled to a place with different customs and different language and spread the gospel in India. Pivotal moment. I mean, when I talk about pivotal, climactic moment, I mean, let's get serious here. This is when Wilbur is declared the winner at the county fair and his life is saved. Charlotte's Web, right? Pivotal, climactic moment. No laughter. I've got three more of these. It's when Gaston and the townspeople come to attack the beast and Belle admits her love for the beast and beauty and the beast. This is pivotal, climactic. The world will be changed. All right, I'm going to go a little lower here because y'all aren't laughing. It's three little pigs climactic, right? Suspense builds up when the confrontation between the third pig who's in the brick house with the wolf, right? You know it's going to get good right there. Still not with me. All right, let's go younger crowd. This is climactic Peta and Katniss eating the poisonous berries instead of an attempt to kill each other. And the outcome of the Hunger Games is that they win, right? Climactic moment. You know, the early service was like all up in this, but okay. <laughs> Everybody's got their own, right? I, I, I want you to think. I want you to think that if every good story has these four elements, and your story with Jesus is a good story, where are you in the arc of the story? I think it's true that we can be in all those places. You you can be in the place of context. Hey, preacher, I'm just learning the names and the places and the setting. Right? I've only been here two or three Sundays. Don't push me to the front. Don't single me out. Don't ask me what I know. I'm just figuring out the context. It's a good place to be. It's an honest place to be. You could be coming here for 20 years and still be learning the context because that's just where the story is. But maybe you're in a place where you know the characters, you know the setting and the narrative, and the pot's starting to boil. The action's getting tense. You're sitting on the edge of your seat for life. Maybe it has to do with the four Ds. Maybe there's uh, death, divorce, diagnosis, or disruption in your life. And you can see the forces of good and evil coming together right in this moment. And the, 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 the rising action and the conflict is building. It's a good place to be, a place to be honest about. 
Now, if you're experiencing the climactic moment of faith that's pivotal and will change your life forever, amen, write it down and send it to the bishop because I'd love for him to know that happened in our worship service today. But usually my experience is that moment of pivotal happens either on a retreat or on a visit, on a, a moment uh, when you are on a mountaintop away from normal life and, and life begins to change for you in that moment. And you tell that story as fuel for the fire from the moment it happened until today. As some of you, you that, that mountaintop moment happened 20 years ago and that's all right. It's a good place to be, right? But, but that closure moment, that how is life different is an important part of the story, especially for everybody else along the arc of the story to hear, right? People want to know that even in the midst of that rising conflict, that Jesus shows up in a pivotal way. And then they want to know, what is it like afterwards? How does this all work out? I have to say that there's a piece in this story that is fascinating to me. I don't think that John is being metaphorical when he says that Thomas places his hands in his side and touches the wounds where uh, Jesus' nails were. Like, I don't think this is like metaphorical, pretty beauty kind of stuff. No, I think it's real and it's gritty. And it's either touching scars or touching scabs, however you want to think about it. I know we're headed to lunch. I don't want to gross you out. But I think that's powerful. Think about what it is like to have somebody touch your wound. I mean, I I have a a huge scar on my abdomen from four different major surgeries. But have you ever seen it? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Darn well hadn't touched it, right? I mean, it's a fascinating thing to think about that you are so comfortable in the midst of closure, so comfortable in your story about faith, that you're okay letting somebody ask and touch your wounds. Now, in the midst of um, my doctoral work, I I came across a story that was just really uh, powerful and moving for me. Um, I was um, studying idealization in pastors. It's kind of the rose-colored glasses uh, effect, right? It's very similar to positive psychology, uh, where there are certain things socially that everybody thinks they do really well, right? Like, you all think that you're really good drivers, but this is not, you know, Lake Wobegon, where, you know, and all the children are above average, right? 50% of this room probably stinks at driving, and the other 50% is pretty good. And I got to be honest, I followed some of you out of the parking lot on Sunday mornings and some of you stink at driving, right? But when asked, are you a good driver? We tend to say yes. When we ask, will your children be better off than you are? We tend to say yes. These are positive psychology illusions. They are idealizations, right? But sometimes idealizations are not all fancy, um, fluffy and uh, rose colored glasses. Sometimes they are reality. And so this particular study looked at, I think it was about 20, um, I can't remember the number exactly, about 20 women who had um, had breast cancer 20 years ago and had had some form of surgical treatment for the disease. And they had scars of some kind or another. 20 years later, they go back to ask these 20 women, there's, trust me, it was real, And um, they asked him um, about your scars. These were women who were in remission, who had not had a recurrence. They were women who were not terrified of the disease, not worried about what's going to happen. They were pretty safe, secure, stable in their health. And the women were asked so many years later, are your uh, scars a source of strength or um, a sign of your weakness? And you think about that, right? 
a source of strength or a sign of your weakness. And like 90%, 19 out of 20 of these women say they are a source of strength. They are evidence of, how, of what I've gone through. They are evidence of what pulled me through, whether they were faithful or not. Sometimes the conversation was about the power of God to heal them or the power of God through medical science to take care of them. That these were not signs of weakness for these women. Their scars were signs of strength. I wonder what it would be like for us to get so far into the story that when, those ask, when people ask us uh, about our wounds, that we are confident to say that they are a source of strength because we can show how God has walked us through those difficult moments. You see, testimony is powerful. We've been talking about unexplainable stories. And, and I've really enjoyed some of you because you'll see the slide and it says eunuchs Unix uh, plain able, and you're like, we don't know what Unix is. And I'm like, you read it all together, it's unexplainable, right? But really, unexplainable stories become undeniable. There it is, thanks, Jake. Right, Unix plain able, right? People ask me, what is U N E X? It's part of the word unexplainable, right? Um, but unexplainable stories become undeniable stories. Not when we read them in a book or see them on a movie, not even when we hear the preacher talk about them up front, but unexplainable stories become undeniable stories when you begin telling your story. Because it's so much more undeniable when it's a neighbor of yours, someone in the cubicle next to you, someone who is in the car line picking up their kid just like you, that the stories are powerful when we tell them. When we tell them what God's done in us and through us, it's not bragging, it's not shaming others, it's not trying to bait and switch them, it's just speaking the truth in love in a very humble way of how I got brought from context through conflict, through climax and closure in journeying to the heart of God. When we talk about taking a next step, we really believe that that taking a next step has to do with telling your story in a personal and powerful way to those folk around you. Because at that point, unexplainable stories become undeniable stories. And we've often said that the history of the church, that the, the faith of the church rises and falls on the willingness of the faithful to tell their story, to tell their testimony, to make a difference by talking about what God has done in you and for you. I wanna invite you over the next couple of uh, weeks to go ahead and turn that unexplainable story into an undeniable story as you share it with others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.